May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A little um, autobiographical information here. Being a clergyman does not come with all the benefits that some jobs come with. (laughs) Um, Typically, a priest goes to graduate school for as long as a physician or a lawyer, yet um, salaries are nowhere near comparable. Um, Clergymen must work about 48 weekends a year, um, so it's always working on a Sunday. my family always teases me, only works on a Sunday. Not true. Always working on a Sunday, though. Has to go to every wedding in the parish um, and never gets time off even for Christmas or Easter. I mean, this is the way it goes, right? You have to work all these. But there's one amazing benefit, one really great benefit, and that is that people love to feed you. And if you love food like I love food, it's a really great benefit. I mean, hardly a week goes by that donuts don't show up in the office or cook a plate of cookies. And I know you can tell, but, you know, there's always some sort of food. Somebody invites me out to a dinner or a lunch or often happens they invite Abby and I over for a a home-cooked meal. And it's a real treat. It very is. And and when we go, when we're invited to go for dinner, um, Abby and I always uh, make sure that we ask our host this question, the question that you ask when somebody invites you over for dinner, can we bring anything? Is there anything that we can bring? And, you know, the answer is always the same. No, just bring yourselves. Almost always just bring yourselves. And then we'll remind each other, oh, we have dinner with so-and-so this week. And and she or say, say to me or I to her, did we ask if we can bring anything? Yes, we asked. <laughs> no, we're not supposed to bring anything. Just bring ourselves. That's what they say. Even this past week, we were invited to a home of someone for dinner. Went through the same sort of routine. You know, can I bring anything? No, didn't bring anything. Abby, remember we have dinner on Thursday. Do we ask if we can bring anything? Yeah, we did. And the answer was no. Um, this is what we do. You don't want to show up and begin. So even when they say, no, don't bring anything, you know what you do. You bring something, right? You you have a, a bottle of wine or or a little gift or something like that. These are the things you bring because there's sort of a reciprocity of welcome, right? It's it's gift giving and gift receiving, and um, and this is what we do in the 21st century in this country. I thought about the things that we don't do. As I thought about going through all the the um, the, the ethics of, of manners and hospitality, uh, what are some of the things you don't do? Well, you don't dress inappropriately, right? So if somebody invites you over for dinner, you don't show up in sweats and a t-shirt, nor do you show up in a tux and a ball gown. I mean, these are not, I mean, maybe they say come in sweats, but normally not. You also wouldn't show up with an entree. I thought about how funny this would be. Somebody invites you to dinner, and you show up with a fully baked chicken, you know, the whole thing, you know. No, you wouldn't bring a chicken to dinner. That's the whole thing. They're making you dinner. Perhaps most importantly in our going through our, our checklist of manners, you don't invite yourself. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just super obvious, but you don't, right? You, you wait for someone to invite you, and then you happily go. That's what good manners dictate. And you heard the gospel, didn't you? Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. It's necessary for me to go to your house today. But before we get there, just a little bit of background. 
Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you were here, about tax collectors. If you weren't, it's new information. If you are, it's a refresher. Um, tax collectors in ancient Israel in the first century during the Roman occupation were Jews. They were Israelis. And they worked for the Roman government. I said a couple of weeks ago it would be like um, imagining you know, some uh, Dutch person working for the Nazis during the 1940s. It, it, it would be a loathful, despicable sort of job to have. But if you didn't care about making friends, you didn't care about people hating you, it would be a great way to get rich. Um, because these tax collectors were predatory. They worked for the Romans. They were already hated by their neighbors. And so the Romans would dictate how much tax they needed to collect for whatever job that they were collecting taxes. But they were allowed to charge whatever they wanted above that. So imagine a fellow sitting at a, at a bridge and he's collecting a toll to get across the bridge from his fellow Jews, his fellow Israelis. And, and the toll was a dollar. It wouldn't be a dollar because it would be in denarius, uh, at a denarius or denarii, plural. But he's, he's at a dollar, okay, just for my sake. Dollar to cross the bridge. The tax collector could charge two, three, four times that much and keep all the extra for himself. And this is what they did. And they did it happily. They became very wealthy at the expense of their neighbors. Oftentimes, the poorest people in the world, they were so poor and they, they, they took taxes from them without any sort of, of you know, conscience or, or any sort of uh, feeling bad about it. Religious people particularly hated tax collectors. If you were a religious person and your son or uh, your, maybe your son became a tax collector, you would likely disown him. Sisters and brothers would no longer have contact with this person. They didn't want to be around them at all. They were despised and hated. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And in Luke's gospel in this day, he reaches the city of Jericho. And when he gets to Jericho, he's just about 16 miles from the city, he intends to pass through. Luke tells us Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. He's on his way through, not planning to stop. But as he does, word about him is spread. Jesus has become quite famous. This is towards the very end of his ministry. And his fame has spread all around. And he enters into Jerusalem, into Jericho, rather, and naturally a crowd gathers to see him. This is what happens in small towns, isn't it? I don't know if you know this, but just a couple weeks ago, um, Liam Neeson, who's a famous actor in Hollywood, was filming a, a, a movie in northeast Ohio, and they came to Kepner's in Hudson, a little tavern around the corner from here. I mean, just a, a, a three-minute walk from where you're sitting right now. And they came and they were filming in there. And, and of course, my phone was lighting up like crazy, you know. Everybody is saying, you're not going to believe it was in town. You know, word was spreading very quickly. And a crowd was gathering around downtown. And I would have been there if I wasn't out of town. You don't know how frustrated I was. And, and there they are. They're all gathered around Word is spread, and Jesus enters into Jericho, and word spreads, and the crowd is gathering. And there's this fellow in the crowd. His name is Zacchaeus. And we know a few things about him. He is Archetelionis. He is a chief tax collector. He is not just your garden variety tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, a top dog tax collector. He presumably has subordinates who work for him. He presumably gets a cut of their take as well. So he's a, you know, like a, a boss tax collector. 
He is wealthy. The, 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 um, the adjective that, uh, that Luke uses is he is abundantly rich. He is super mega rich. And third, he's short. Now, you got to take off your hat. I can't see you. But I had to do this for a... That he is short is descriptive, not pejorative. Okay? Just want to get that out in front of us. We know these things about Zacchaeus. He is a powerful tax collector, wealthy beyond measure, a short fellow. We suspect that he has very few good friends. His own family probably will have nothing to do with him. And the people who do hang around are more parasitic than they are true friends. If the money was gone, they would be going going too. But Zacchaeus seems to have a genuine interest in spirituality. He has a genuine interest in, in coming to, to know something about Christ. He's not just celebrity starstruck. Luke says he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see who Jesus is. He wants to know something about him. And he climbs up in this tree. And a surprising turn of events takes place. He's looking up to see Jesus. And Jesus looks up and sees him. Calls him by name. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. It's necessary for me to go to your house. It's important that I spend time with you at your home. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. This is a, 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 you know, a, a faux pas of manners on a number of levels. First, as I said already, you don't invite yourself to somebody's house, all right? Maybe just a little bit. But secondly, decent people do not spend time with tax collectors. They don't go around them. They do not spend time with tax collectors. You don't spend time with Nazi sympathizers. You simply don't do this. It's, it's, it's inappropriate in the neighborhood. And Zacchaeus can hardly believe his luck. He's so amazed. Yes, of course. And he, he rushes down and he's leading Jesus to the house. Listen to what Luke says in, in verse 5. Jesus looked up. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, He, that is Jesus, has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. What in the world is Jesus doing? What possible good could come out of this? Well, except this. Zacchaeus stood there and said, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. If you've defrauded anyone? (laughs) Really? Yes, of course you've defrauded people. But Zacchaeus knows he has fences to men, both with his neighbors and with God, and he's ready to do it. Listen to this. Zacchaeus had a meeting with Jesus, and his life was changed. Let's let that sink in for just a minute. Zacchaeus had a meeting with Jesus, and his life was changed. I think it says several things to us. First, don't be surprised that those people who live without Christ in their lives live in ways that sometimes, um, you know, kind of go against your sensibilities of decency. If people don't have Christ in their lives, you shouldn't be shocked that they don't care about the Ten Commandments. You shouldn't be shocked that they don't care about lying or stealing or cheating on their spouse. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised and shocked 
and pull back. Humans need a God. And if we will not have the God of the Bible, we will make a God of our own. Generally, it will be our God of ourself. It will look just like us. But here's the payoff. Don't despise these people. Don't despise someone who lives without Christ. They simply need an opportunity to know Him. Second thing, wherever we go, we should take Christ with us. Christ should be part of the, when we go, a part of our, our ready to bring something. And we should, we should bring Christ ready to engage in conversation. St. Peter says this, Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that lies within you. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks of the hope that lies within you. He assumes a few things, doesn't he? Number one, that you'll know and I'll know the reason for the hope that lies within us. We need to know that. Why do we have hope in Christ? Secondly, that we ought to spend time with people who don't have hope in Christ. Thirdly, that it will be so infectious that they'll ask us why. Graham Tomlin in this great little book um, called The Provocative Church uh, quotes Blaise Pascal saying that the job of the church is not to convince people that Christianity is true. It is rather to make Christianity so attractive that people wish it were true. And then he says, and then show them that it is. Live in such a way that people want it to be true. And then show them that it is. Lastly, I think this text says to us, God always takes the initiative. God always takes the initiative in salvation. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He climbs up in a tree. Nobody let him through the crowd. Of course they didn't. He probably got elbows in the face, all kinds of stuff. So he finds a tree and he climbs the tree because he wants to see Jesus. He does not expect that Jesus wants to see him. God always takes the initiative. He condescends to welcome us. So, a reprisal on our manners. If someone invites you to dinner, I urge you to go. I do. I urge you to go no matter what you know of this person. And when you do, remember your manners. Dress appropriately. Barbecues are different than dinner parties. I don't know if you know that, but they are. You know, the barbecues are different. Um, an anniversary is different than a toddler's birthday. Okay, keep these things in mind. I urge you to offer to bring something. Can I bring anything? And they'll say to you, no, just bring yourselves. And show up with something anyway. But for heaven's sakes, don't take a roast. I mean, that's not the idea, right? Go with a little something. But always do this. Always take Christ with you. For that's the most important thing. That's really keeping manners. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.